0: Scream was a phenomenon. Like Peter said, uh, people wearing the ghost face mask.
1: Yeah, AIDS was also a phenomenon.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Radio Drome. I'm Josh Hadley. It's Radio Drome. With me is Cecil.
0: Yes, I am with you. And Peter. This
1: is God. I'm your boyfriend now. (laughs) We originally did not have tonight's topic scheduled, but with the death of Wes Craven literally the night it was announced the night we were getting ready to record what was a different topic. We decided that tonight will be a Wes Craven retrospective. Before that, I have to get the obligatory, no clever pun considering you know Wes Craven just died, but I got to get the Adam and Eve promo out of the way. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, like I said, tonight, this was not our scheduled topic. I think it's apt, I mean, it makes sense to do a Wes Craven retrospective, even if the man had not died. He has had such a huge impact on the horror genre, we're probably lax in waiting this long. In general, without going to any specifics right now, because we'll hit all those, what do you think of Wes Craven and his contributions to the horror genre?
0: not getting into each individual thing cuz we we will if he never made another movie he made a, a Nightmare on Elm Street like i mean if if that was the if if he got to that point and made Nightmare on Elm Street and then never made another thing he still would be legendary because that is one of the most iconic just pinnacle highlights of all time of horror it was
1: movies. a turning point in the genre
0: it absolutely was mm-hmm. It it deserve it's one of those movies that it does get
2: showered with praise because it deserves to be showered with praise. I I see him as a very impressive filmmaker because he managed to be successful in multiple generations. Like he hit it huge with Freddy Krueger with Nightmare on Elm Street, and then in the 90s also managed to to capitalize on whatever other new uh, trend in movies were were coming about. And whether you like Scream or not. Uh, he really hit it big with that too. and he really proved that he's, uh he's a huge staying name uh, in the horror genre and, and that he can keep producing and quite consistently and, and usually very well. Like, I'm, I'm a fan of um, most of most of his works that I've seen and I've, I've always been a huge fan of his. I, I see him as a guy who who can keep uh, evolving throughout the years.
1: I don't disagree with what either of you said, and people are going to say I'm kind of an asshole tonight. It's weird when it comes to Wes Craven for me. I've always respected him as a director. He's a very good director. He's got a very great eye. He's very smart. Yet, for some reason, a lot of his films I did not like the final product of. Just like somehow, you know, great direction, good writing, did not quite coalesce into a great film. So people are going to hear me bitching about that tonight. That's not a lack of respect. That's I just didn't enjoy the final product as much. That said, I will be g- going after Scream because I despise that film. And I think Scream did more damage to the horror genre than any other single item in the last 30 years. And I think the horror genre still is not healed from the wounds inflicted on it by Scream. So, But w- we'll get into that. At the beginning, Wes Craven made The Last House on the Left, 1972.
3: It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. The last house on the left. Here is the first motion picture to offer to the daring a look into the final maddening space between life and death. The last house on the left. Caution. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested. The Last House on the Left. Offered by Sean Cunningham Films Limited in color. Caution. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Take as much as you can. Only a movie.
1: It's, it was a pretty influential film. It was a plagiarized work. It was, in his own words, a blatant ripoff of The Virgin Spring. So I'm not <laughs> accusing him of plagiarism that he has not accused himself of with he and Sean Cunningham. My problem with Last House on the left is the visceral parts work great. The goofy cops with the banjo music by Martin, with Martin Cove so miss the mark that I think it <laughs> actually wrecks the film. There needs to be an edit of the film where all of the cop scenes are edited out. That would be a better
2: great. Last
1: House on the Left, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Well, that's one. Um, and and it it goes again with uh, a guy that's really that really keeps evolving through every generation. It's really interesting that he made made his start essentially with exploitation. And I I enjoy um other than the the goofy banjo cops. Yeah, I think that's some stupid shit and it doesn't fit with the movie at all. But other than that, it's a, it's a great uh, sleazy. Um, a sleazy little exploitation film and it's really interesting to to see how west could go from something like that to Nightmare on Elm Street to Shocker to to Scream to Red Eye like i really love how versatile he was as a filmmaker and just seeing where he got his start is um is a really nice showcase of that
0: The Last House on the Left, I think that um, for his first movie, it was very good because it was just it was a dirty, grimy, just very gritty movie. I agree with you. I think that the whole cop stuff could have really been cut. But who knows? You know that it it, at at the time, it may have seemed like it worked. There are a lot of movies where. You watch it now and you're like, oh, God, why didn't they edit this part out? It's like, well, at the time people like that. So I don't <laughs> know. But I mean, I think that with the original, I mean, David Hess, his Krug was so he really was a large part of why the movie worked. I think that uh, the remake is actually better.
2: Absolutely.
1: I, I can't say I quite disagree with you because the remake take, took itself seriously, unlike the original.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So and and Garrett Dillahunt is a great substitute for David Hess, really.
0: Yeah, he he did a great job. I mean, it, I don't know. It's it's tough because because he Hess really was he was acting in a different movie almost, you know, because he was so <laughs> just on point. And then there was all this goofy stuff going on around him. It it almost was like what the hell. But again, I, God, <laughs> I saw it, I saw it sometime in like the mid 90s. I think was the first time I saw it. So. I was completely missed the boat on seeing it, you know, back when it would have been a lot more uh, maybe effective.
1: Well, and then, he, you know, he didn't do a whole lot. He produced a couple of things. But then his next directorial effort is a movie that I guarantee no one listening to this show has seen. Now, there there was a period in the late 70s to early 80s where there wasn't enough work for exploitation filmmakers, surprisingly enough. And they would work in the porn industry under pseudonyms. I mean, hell, Orson Welles co-directed and edited a post-apocalyptic hardcore porn lesbian movie called 3AM in the 70s. Wes Craven was not immune from this. In 1975, he directed The Fireworks Woman, a.k.a. Angela The Fireworks Woman, under the name Abe Snake. And it's a, it's a, it's a hardcore, cum shots and everything. I guarantee nobody has seen The Fireworks Woman, besides me. Have either of you? Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right, well, we'll just move on to the next one. The next one we come to is 1977's The Hills Have Eyes. Personally, I thought The Hills Have Eyes. Maybe it was blown up too much for me. I actually think it is quite well directed. It kind of has that last house on the left, that dirty dirtiness to it that really I think does work and Michael Berryman is fantastic in it I just didn't think the Mm. film was that great of a film like I pointed out earlier a lot of these there are lots of things I like about them but there are just hearts that I don't like ironically enough Hills Have Eyes I don't necessarily like it as a movie I like it as what it represented as a movie if that makes any sense
0: um similar thing. <laughs> I saw The Hills Have Eyes way late and uh again Michael Berryman was great. I actually like got a joke after the fact like cuz he w- he was in uh Weird Science and he did that whole thing where he came in and you know please don't tell anybody uh you know I'll ruin my teaching job. And then you see and then you know years later I see him in The Hills Have Eyes I'm like, "Oh!"
1: Now, now that joke
0: makes sense. Well, now the whole thing makes sense, and so well, not the joke, but I mean, so much the character. Um, like, oh, okay, I get why he's, you know, but it just, it felt off. It felt slow. This is gonna sound really weird.
1: It's a very padded movie.
0: Yeah, it's a very padded movie. This is gonna sound really weird, but like the the rape, like it didn't, it like, it, it was it was shot really awkward. And it just – it didn't – it wasn't scary. it I don't know. It just – it it wasn't – I mean, because there's plenty of movies with, like The, the Rape and Irreversible. Oh, God. You you want to talk about, like, wanting to pour ble- bleach on your eyes. But, like, in this, it kind of was like, all right, well, it didn't really have the impact that I felt, you know, it, it should have. It just it, – it, it was okay. Like, I mean, it was – Again, it was it was a good movie for his second horror movie back in a time when he was kind of evolving and uh, his directing skills were good. I think it's just maybe it would have benefited from a better edit or just something. It was just missing something.
2: It was missing a lot of things. As much as I respect uh, Wes Craven as a director and as much as I'm going to miss him, you know, rest in peace and all that stuff. I. Fucking hate the Hills Have Eyes. I've tried to like that movie for years. Uh, the first time I saw it, I thought maybe I was just tired because I didn't enjoy it. Because like I was expecting this like really cool, gritty, sleazy movie. The the same way that uh, uh, Last House on the Left was, but this one just it has that that grimy aesthetic to it. It, it looks that way, but then the movie itself. I, I think the the way that I always describe it whenever I'm talking about it with anybody is it's it's that movie where Michael Berryman just keeps getting his ass kicked by a dog. It's just that's and that's one of the reasons why I, I find it so ineffective is there's nothing yeah there's a rape scene in it yeah people die yeah there's this big bearded fucking mountain man guy but essentially the villains in this movie are are useless they don't feel scary they feel ineffective Michael Berryman is just getting bitch slapped all the time by his brothers and then he 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 can't he doesn't even have he doesn't have the stamina the strength to fucking take on a dog like you don't feel you don't feel like these guys are actually scary there there's nothing there and it's um it's one of those movies where i think the concept is great this idea of these mutated mountain men attacking this family it's a really solid idea that works really well for an exploitation horror film and i think the remake took that and really ran with it and did it properly uh the same way that the uh last house last house on the left remake did and i like the original but i do again think that the remake was superior no offense to Wes Craven
1: well then after that he showing his versatility he went to TV he's still doing a horror movie but he made the Linda Blair film the TV movie Stranger in Our House a lot of people are going to go what i never heard of that well that's because it was released on DVD in the last few years as Summer of Fear same movie it's a witchcraft movie it was a TV movie i saw it on TBS back in the late 80s or early 90s i remember it actually being quite effective for a TV movie mm-hmm. it had i remember this is all memory it had good mood and good atmosphere. That's all I really remember about it. And I saw it as Stranger in Our House, not Summer of Fear, which is a stupid title. Have either of you seen this one?
2: I I have not, but uh, I love Linda Blair, so I do want to check it out.
1: And this is still 70s Linda Blair when she had, like, the baby fat cheeks and stuff? <laughs> uh, no, I don't believe so. Well, then after that, we come to a- another movie that... I want to like. There are things I like about it, and then there are things that are so bad I can't, and that's 1981's Deadly Blessing. It just doesn't work for me. I I like elements of it. I think it's got good atmosphere. It's got good acting, but for some reason I just don't like the final film. It's kind of dull and boring to me, yet I'm also intrigued by the story. Does that make any sense?
0: I like Deadly Blessing. I haven't seen it in quite a while, so I'm Am going Am I wrong, wrong
1: about how slow it feels, though? It is
0: slow, but I don't know. Sometimes movies can be slow and it works like it builds the atmosphere. And then other times movies can be slow and they're just like, oh, Christ, nothing's happening. This is one where I feel it's slow, but there's still stuff enough going on that's kind of keeping you going through it all. So, like, again, I'm I'm going off of memory here, but I remember enjoying it.
2: Yeah, it's been kind of a kind of a while since I saw it. And when I saw it, I only saw it once. And it was just out of curiosity, just wanting to see um Other things that uh, that Wes Craven had made when I was, um, you know, getting into his movies for the first time after I had uh, seen, you know, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets and Shocker and, and stuff like that. And I just wanted to check out like other random stuff he'd made. I don't really remember too much about it, unfortunately.
1: Well, then he went and made a movie I love. Now, I cannot say it's a good movie because it, it isn't, but it's a movie I love. I can I always watch it on TV. I've got the the uncut VHS of the
0: boob Swamp thing. thing. The boob print.
1: The, the boob print. <laughs> Yes, because the the initial VHS release had Adrian Barbeau's beautiful tatas in it. For some <laughs> reason, they edited that out of later VHS releases, and I know the initial DVD print didn't even have her boobs in it yet. I love the movie. I think it feels great. It's got a great atmosphere to it. The villains are ridiculously over the top as you know, they needed to be. This is a comic adaptation. And keep in mind, this is a comic book adaptation at a time when comic books were not really being adapted into movies. They were being put on TV and failing their Marvel movies. Superman had just come out a couple of years prior. Who the hell Mm. heard of Swamp Thing? I think Swamp Thing's a tremendously fun film, but you can't say it's a tremendously well-made film, if that makes sense.
2: Swamp Thing kicks ass. It's uh it's proof that there were uh really solid comic book movies uh back then. You just gotta you just gotta dig a little bit. But I mean for, for people like us who are familiar with Wes Craven's work and stuff it's uh it's easy to remember and it, it, it's just a, a lot of fun. I love the way the swamp thing looks in it. Adrian Barbeau, you know, awesome as always. It's uh it's one of those movies that, that yeah, if it's on uh if it's on TV or even just every now and then I'll I'll pop in the DVD and watch it cuz it's just uh it's just one of those really really fun fun flicks that uh you always remember.
0: Although like I always thought Adrian Barbeau like she always looked like somebody's aunt. You know, she she always like she always just looked like like even when she was young, she looked like an older lady. You know, I was like, oh yeah, her boobs, but it's like I don't know. It's, it's she never did anything for me, but uh, I always I thought it was funny how people do always you know or oh, are boobs, you know. So anyway, but the movie itself, you got to think of on on the topic of the fact that it is a comic book movie, it could very well be one of the few, if only, comic book movies to actually have nudity in it, and it's not <laughs> just. Her, there's actually uh, there's a scene in a cabin where there's a blonde who gets naked, and uh, I think that got cut from the VHS copy as well. It's since uh, been I don't think it's on the on the Blu-ray, but I'm pretty sure it's on the DVD. But uh, anyway, to the movie mm-hmm. itself, I like it. It's fun. I think Swamp Thing looks amazing. I think you know they could not have captured the look of the character any better. It's just a fun, like, entertaining movie. It's very odd because. Now when people say, you know, Wes Craven, the master of horror, and it's like, oh, he did Swamp Thing. People are like, huh? It's such an out of, I don't want to say out of character, but it, it's such an unusual choice for him to do. But yeah. it still was early in his career when he was doing, you know, he was doing a variety of stuff. It was cool that he did it because he ended up making a really good movie.
1: Which, bomb. <laughs> it didn't find its audience till cable and home video. Well, but... of
0: course it did. You know, it's swamped. It's a comic I mean...
1: book movie in 1982. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he made a movie, which this is the first one of his I haven't seen at all, called Invitation to Hell, 1984. I haven't seen it, so I pass. Cecil? Pass. Pass. Okay, then we move on to 1984. This is still pre-Nightmare on Elm Street. This one has a weird history behind it. Remember how Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 was basically we want to re-release the first film, but we wanna just we gotta make cheap wraparounds that got out of control. That's what Hills Have Eyes <laughs> yep. Two is. It, it, it's new footage wrapped around most of the old footage. It's what an hour of old footage and about a half hour of new footage. Every character has a flashback, including the dog. Dog has flashbacks to the first film. Hills Have Eyes Part 2 <laughs> is nothing but a blatant shameless cash-in and i don't even consider it a wes craven movie he directed a half hour of it yes he directed the other hour a decade earlier to me hell's have eyes 2 is not even a real movie it's a glorified clip show
2: fucking much as i hate the first one i hate this one even more it, it takes everything that didn't work about the first one and just makes it even worse michael Berryman is not only Uh, still getting the shit kicked out of him by a dog. But one of the characters in the film literally tells him, I'm going to kick the shit out of you.
0: Same thing. Glorified clip show.
1: It's just, I don't know what, I don't know. I mean, I get it that they wanted to cash in, but man, did that not work. But then he made the film he's known for a nightmare on Elm street, which I like the movie a lot. I think it's very inventive, a lot of inventive camera angles and whatnot. I actually like part three better. We'll do a whole Nightmare retrospective at some point. It's not my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. But that said, in and of itself, other than the special effects of the mom being pulled through the door, which are shockingly bad, I think it's a really solid film that doesn't really have a lot of negatives to it, except for that final shot. It's a well-told story. The characters are relatively rounded throws reality out the window a little bit. Police would never quite act like that, but fine. It's a movie. Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, deserved the cult that built around it. And I don't think there's a whole lot we have to say about Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: If you think the end of the original Nightmare on Elm Street is bad, you should see how bad the remake ending is. It makes that one look like... (laughs) It it makes the original look like ILM did it. It's so terrible. It's (laughs) It's some of the worst CGI I think I've ever seen. It's they tried to do too much stuff and it just it fails on all counts. With all the practical effects in it that just show how good they are and how much they still work. Like when um when uh the, Nance is sleeping in the bed and he's pushing through like the ball the and
1: to me the one that works the best is The rotating room when Tina is being thrown onto Mm -hmm. the ceiling, and you see the behind the scenes, and it's that—that's the kind of inventiveness I was talking about.
0: Oh, absolutely! That's the thing. They had so much in, like, it was like, all right, well, how are we going to do this? And they found ways to do it. And that's one of my big problems with CGI now is it's like they—they're like, well, we will just you know do it in the computer instead of finding you know creative ways that would end up looking better and would be less expensive. The the uh, marshmallow steps. The marshmallow steps, Johnny yeah. Depp being uh, just uh, douched out of his bed. You Way know? more
1: blood than a human body could ever hold, but fine. It's it's especially a his.
0: Well, I, I love how how like that. Well, that was another one of the uh, how silly movies are. They're like, he killed himself with, with what? a grenade. Like, <laughs> how, how would that have been humanly possible? Again, you know, it's a movie, I'll I'll let it slide, but it's still just a fantastic movie and just
2: creative, inventive. Just amazingly fond memories, because when I was getting into movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, movies like Friday the 13th, there were still uh, video stores, like mom and pop video stores around. I'd be renting all the Nightmare sequels and all the Friday the 13th sequels, and I just remember being so... Blow away, with *Nightmare on Elm Street*—just how how moody it is, how it keeps uh Freddie in the shadows—and that's what I love so much about the first. uh It's why the first three *Nightmare on Elm Streets* are are my favorites.
1: Then he did a TV movie called *Chiller* with Paula Servino. I remember check. I remember catching this on TV late night some night. I all I remember about it is it was a movie. It wasn't impressive, but it wasn't bad. I don't remember much about it, but just it was a movie. either of you seen the 1985 movie Chiller? That's such an original title?
0: No. Nope.
1: Well, and then he, he decided to start expanding his horizons. At this point, he got hired on the new Twilight Zone. He, he directed a no, number of episodes. He directed like 15 episodes of the 1985 Twilight Zone, including... A, working with relative unknown actors such as like Bruce Willis and Morgan Freeman, I think his Twilight Zone stuff is fantastic. It shows that inventiveness we were talking about, at the same time making it palatable for TV. And most of these Twilight Zones he did were not horror. Most of them, you know, with the Twilight Zone, you think they're more science fiction or fantasy. It showed that he wasn't that horror guy. And I think that works. I love his 85 Twilight Zone episodes.
2: I yeah, it's it's either a case of having or just don't uh, remember too much. But I think even even stuff like Swamp Thing kind of proves that Wes uh, definitely isn't just that horror guy and that he, he had a talent uh, uh to, to make to make other stuff like really solid uh, comic book movies or really solid horror or, you know, awesome episodes of, of the Twilight Zone.
1: Well, and then after the Twilight Zone. How the hell he got hired at Walt Disney, I'll never know. He directed an episode <laughs> of Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, the episode <laughs> Case Busters. I haven't seen this one, so I pass. I've never seen it. I'm going to guess Peter's a pass as well.
2: Uh, definitely a pass. Um, But I I am... Uh, that, That's impressive now to know that the man has not only done, you know, non-horror episodes of Twilight Zone, he's done Swamp Thing, but... Now I really am surprised. I never knew that he did anything for Disney.
1: Then he made a movie I just straight up don't like. I remember Fangoria was talking the hell up of Deadly Friend in 1986, especially the basketball scene. This movie feels like it's, this is after he left Twilight Zone. It feels like a rejected Twilight Zone episode that he decided to make into a movie. Goofy robot and the resurrecting the girlfriend. And and then you add the gore, which kind of comes out of nowhere. To me, Deadly Friend does not work. I don't like this movie. I don't know why this film has such a cult following. I don't like Deadly Friend. I think it's a goofy movie that just does not work the way it's supposed to.
0: I like Deadly Friend, but I recognize that it is a flawed movie.
1: Severely flawed movie.
0: Well, the thing is, this was his first real taste of studio interference. Like with Nightmare on Elm Street, he kind of had a lot of control and he was able to make the movie he wanted to make. And with Deadly Friend, he wanted to make more of a combination Frankenstein movie with like a bit of like sad love story.
1: Do you see how this feels like a, like a rejected Twilight Zone script that he took with him?
0: Possibly. Yeah. But I mean, he never, he talked about it before, but I never heard him say that. So I, you know, can't, I mean, it's, it is very well possible. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ideas, you know, you're working on something, it's something that doesn't come to fruition. You take it and you do it sometime later. It was an idea that he had for a Twilight Zone. You decide to stretch it out. He had like a lot of, ideas and stuff that he wanted to do but the studio kept coming back cuz you know he was the horror guy so they're like well we don't want a love story we want more gore we insist there be more gore so they kept writing the scenes and incorporating more gore in and while yes i do like the basketball scene uh and there's a couple of other like fairly bloody scenes in there you can kind of see elements of what he was originally going for he's got the you know the good-natured girl with the abusive father and and uh he wanted it to kind of be a little bit more of like a sad love story and then god the ending that i he hates that's the only part of the movie that i laugh at but it's so ridiculous that it just really completely undermines the movie It's like, okay, you can kind of deal with, you know, eh, she's got a microchip in her and brought her back to life. And she's now kind of part robot. But then at the end, when she just erupts and the robot comes out of her, that's like, oh, my God.
1: And and, and the robot looks like a friendly version of a chopping mall robot.
0: Right. But it's. (laughs) It's so just, but but like I said, Wes did not want that to be the ending. They more or less went and did that like completely without his blessing. I don't remember what his ending was, but I remember it was a lot more bittersweet. And just that
2: ending is just so laughable. I I like it. Um, I can see its flaws and I definitely see its silliness. Um, I mean it's 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 a movie about a banana yellow robot that repeats its name and a and a girl that's killed by her abusive dad so the the robots microchip is is taken in and spliced with uh with the friend and it's this weird like almost like cyber Frankenstein type story and it's just it's very goofy and, and that ending with the you know the the ro- the robotic face coming coming out is just it, it's it's one of those movies where you discover it later on it's like an oddity uh, a curiosity kind of thing where you, you've you seen Wes Craven's movies, you know of, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, stuff like that, and it's like, you, you check that one out with your with your buddies, and you kind of have a good time, and you laugh, and it's just, it's it's one of those um, Wes Craven movies that uh, not a lot of people know about, and it's one of those that if you're a connoisseur of, like, all things of that are genre related, horror related, and sci-fi related, that you'll know about it because you go out of your way to to see it, and then you, you get to show it to people and be like, oh, okay, so you've seen, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, have you? Well, uh, have you heard of this little Wes Craven flick? And then, you know, you just you sit around with your friends and you, you kind of chuckle at it and you laugh at it. And you appreciate it for what it is, I guess.
1: Well, after after Deadly Friend, he went on to do a movie. Again, I get why people like it. It's got great atmosphere. But Serpent and the Rainbow just didn't do anything for me. The, and this was also part of a rash of late 80s voodoo movies made by american studios there were like five of these within six years i don't know what all of the, the voodoo thing was every studio was making a voodoo movie serpent in the rainbow <laughs> it's got great atmosphere great acting great cast and just something doesn't gel with it for me i just could not get into serpent in the rainbow like i said i get why there's a cult built around it but i'm not part of it
0: i like serpent the rainbow if for, for nothing else the, the don't let them bury me. I'm not dead. Like it's that's just so memorable. I really enjoy it, and I usually don't like voodoo movies because a lot of them they do the whole like Louisiana thing, and yeah, it doesn't always work. But this one I, I did really enjoy. It came out at the right time. It creeped me out effectively. I I just I get I, I like it. It's probably one of the best, if not the best
2: of the uh, voodoo, you know, movies.
1: I seem to remember Angel Heart being pretty good. I haven't seen Angel it since it came out, so. I was yeah, actually Angel going Heart. to
2: say that uh, I I consider Serpent in the Rainbow to kind of be uh, Angel Heart, maybe not light, but kind of not as, like, intense as Angel Heart, but still really good. I saw Serpent in the Rainbow when I was very young, and it freaked it freaked me the hell out. And I still think it, it holds up really well. As Cecil said, it's one of those... Uh, it's one of the better voodoo movies that came out around that time, uh, along with uh, along with Angel Heart. It, ma- it would make a good um, double feature with that one, I think.
1: Well, *Serpent in the Rainbow* mm-hmm. didn't do great at the box office, and now I love 1989 *Shocker*, despite the things I hate about it. I hate the fact <laughs> that okay, in in *Nightmare on Elm Street*, they said, you know what, cop, we're not even going to be realistic with how cops act. Here, literally, they catch Horace Pinker on the roof, and he's being executed. <laughs> A day or two later, Jonathan and his dad still have the bruises from the fight on the roof, and he's in the electric chair. No trial. (laughs) No, they never even Mirandize him. He's just being executed. Even when I saw this when I was was 14 at the time, that bothered me with how, okay, we're not even pretending to be realistic here. The thing that bothers me the most is, and I didn't know this at the time, was just what a shameless cash-in this was. Freddy at this point had become kind of watered down, and New Line decided, you know what we need to do? We need their words, a new Freddy. Wes Craven was was tasked with making a new horror icon, a new Freddy. And that's where Horace Pinker comes in. And to me, <laughs> that is the most shameless reason to make a movie. That said, there's a lot of great ideas in Shocker. There's a lot of great music in Shocker. The cast is fantastic. I I saw Shocker four times in the theater in '89. I absolutely adore this movie, despite my problems with it.
2: I I see Shocker on the same level as I see Deadly Friend. I can see the uh a lot of the silliness and the flaws in it, but it's a lot of fun. Mitch Pileggi is just awesome in that movie. Just a total blast to watch. It's one of the 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 better of its type that uh, that came, even if it was a shameless cash grab attempt at a a new Freddy. It it still gave us a a fun little, you know, B-level Freddy created by Wes. Like, I I love the the character of Pinker. It's uh, that movie and the Lyle Alzado destroyer are just just fantastic when it comes to the weird supernatural prison slasher movies. Shocker is
0: good, but... um... I know I don't know the full story behind it because I, I was kind of working on it, but then I got sidetracked with something else. But I know that there was a uh, a history between Shocker and the horror show with with uh, Shocker being blatantly ripping off the horror show. It just because uh, I mean, if you watch the two of them, they're the same movie. The right. horror show did have Lance Anderson. Like that's there are good things about Shocker. The soundtrack is great. Uh, Mitch Pileggi is really good, but there is a lot of silliness to it, especially the further into the movie it goes, the more ridiculous <laughs> it gets. It's just like they yep. they they made- I, love,
1: I love the flipping channels thing. I thought that was amazing.
0: I like the horror show better. And Shocker does have a, a good place. I could see why they made it. You know, they want another horror icon. Uh, they really thought that it was going to be Horace Pinker. But And they did promote the hell out of it, and they they had every, they had all the right elements, but unfortunately they forgot to make a good movie.
1: After Shocker tanked, that's why we didn't get the horror icon that New Line wanted, he made a TV movie with James Ramar called Night Visions. I haven't seen it. Have either of you?
0: Pass. Nope. Nope.
1: <laughs> then after that, he made a movie. I don't know what to say about people under the stairs. I remember seeing it and yet I don't remember a single thing about it. Does that make any sense?
2: What's wrong kind with you? Because <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I, I definitely remember watching it, and I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it more than once. I've seen it a couple times on TV, and I know I've rented it. I'm pretty sure I even own it. haven't seen it in a long time, though, probably like 10 years at this point. I remember it being pretty good. Like I remember it kind of having a sort of a creepy atmosphere and a, a bit of goofiness to it, but I just can't remember anything really about it. Same
1: here. I know I've seen it. I saw it when it first came out on video, and then I saw it again on Monster Vision in the late 90s, and yet I'd be hard-pressed to even tell you what the plot is. I just I don't know if that means it's a forgettable movie or it just failed to, to stick in my memory.
0: Okay, both of you as soon as possible need to go back and rewatch this movie. This is seriously one of his best films. It is so good. It has all the right elements. There's a lot there's a good amount of horror, there's great action, there's great like dark comedy. The cast is great. You got a really young Ving Rhames in there. A kick-ass movie. When you rewatch it, you're gonna be like, "What the? Sh- how did I not remember this movie? It is <laughs> excellent."
1: It, it, that also, as Wes's career tends to do, didn't go over so well. But then he decided to go back to television, and he created the TV series Nightmare Cafe, which, in his own words, is like what if Night Gallery met The Twilight Zone with recurring characters and that is what what it is. The six-episode series is really good. It's got the same three characters in it, one of which is Robert Englund, but it's very much horror meets science fiction meets fantasy. It's an anthology series with recurring characters. I loved it. NBC apparently didn't. They decided to burn it off late night in summer of 1992, so nobody watched it. I remember watching Nightmare Cafe. I liked it a lot. Either of you guys seen Nightmare Cafe at all?
2: Can't say I have. Nope.
1: Wes Craven co-wrote and produced Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 back in 1987, which I think is the best film in the franchise. I agree. The first time he came back to the franchise to direct anything was to give it a final send-off, which we all know how that worked out, in 1994's (laughs) New Nightmare. New Nightmare is another film that I don't think works at all. I praise him. There are some great elements to it. There are brilliant ideas in it. I just do not think it gels at all. I think it's a terrible movie with a lot of great ideas in it. If if any movie in the Nightmare franchise deserved to be remade, it would be New Nightmare. Because in my opinion, it would be take these great ideas and actually do them right.
0: New Nightmare is is my least favorite of the series. Um, like I'm with you. I think there were a lot of good ideas. They were poorly executed. The movie as a whole, I thought, was just
2: really dull. I think it's better than, like, Jason Goes to Hell, at least, in terms of, uh, like, concept and some execution. I, I really do think that it is—they're uh, they're ideas that probably sounded good on paper, and then in the execution just kind of was a, a, a neandering, sort of bland film that it was just kind of weird in, in certain spots. There are parts that I like and then there are other parts that just kind of make me go, what? Like, I don't know. And New Nightmare is one of those like weird early 90s attempt at, uh, you know, reinventing the uh, uh, slashers and, and whatnot and just that bizarre time of, of stuff like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation and Jason Goes to Hell and, and stuff like that. And they, and they generally just didn't work because they deviated too much from the, the source material. And it was strange because it would always be the originators coming back. Like, this is the true final nightmare with Sean Cunningham coming back for Jason and Wes Craven coming back for Freddy. And, and they essentially, probably inadvertently, shit on their own franchises.
1: I, hate, I can't stand this movie. Then in 1995, he made a movie that nobody remembers he made, Vampire in Brooklyn. The reason I say that is... This is such an Eddie Murphy movie through and through. Even the advertising, <laughs> the, the trailer doesn't mention Wes Craven. He's only mentioned in the small Indica on the, on the poster, on the DVD cover. You watch Vampire in Brooklyn, you will not see any Wes Craven in this movie. This is an Eddie Murphy movie that happened to be directed by Wes Craven. That said, it's a terrible, terrible film. I went into Vampire in Brooklyn with such high hopes. Wes Craven directing Eddie Murphy in a horror comedy? This can't fail. Yet it somehow found a way to fail on every level. The comedy's not funny. The horror's not horrific. The direction is bland. The script is terrible. Vampire in Brooklyn is terrible. It pisses me off that Eddie Murphy blames Wes Craven for it when it's so clear this was an Eddie Murphy ego project.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's... Wes Craven went in with good intentions to make the movie. And then Eddie Murphy probably like, cause at the time Eddie Murphy was big. Yeah. I think he came in and just started uh, probably armchair directing the film and really taking over and probably and ad libbing a whole crap ton. And the thing is that works in some movies that were, I mean, brilliantly in like coming to America and whatnot, but I think when you've got a movie like that that needs a little bit more structure, that's not just straight-up comedy, then it's really going to start falling apart. And yeah, Vampire in Brooklyn is just a mess.
2: All I remember about that movie is seeing the the box for it at the video store and just whenever I would pass by it, all I could think was, this looks like a pile of crap. I have no interest in seeing this.
1: You were right. That's... It is a pile of crap.
2: <laughs> just, it, to me, it just looked like... Uh, like I generally like Eddie Murphy, but I was like Eddie Murphy is a Brooklyn vit. This is stupid shit even by like Eddie Murphy standards. I didn't even know it was a, a Wes West Craven movie until like right now.
1: It it's West Craven as total work for hire. He was he was just, <laughs> he was a mercenary on this film. There's no other way to put it. Well then and that film failed Yikes. hard. Vampire in Brooklyn failed hard and then he made the film that Other than Nightmare on Elm Street, he's arguably most famous for Scream in 96, a film that I despise on every level. He and Kevin Williamson seem to think that it's a brilliant deconstruction of the horror genre, man, and what they don't realize is it's everything that was wrong with the horror genre but played straight. God damn, is Scream, of terrible movie. And I didn't hate the movie in this hipster kind of, oh, everyone likes it. I, I hate it. I saw this, and I was excited for it. And I went, what the f*** was that? I <laughs> despised every minute of Scream. Hated it. Hated it. And then each sequel got progressively worse. Wes Craven, if he... If I had ever met him, I would have said, I owe you a debt of gratitude for Nightmare on Elm Street, and you owe me for the goddamn Scream franchise. I mean, for a while, I hated Wes Craven based on Scream. I mean, I hated him. There was a while I called him one of the biggest sellout directors in all of Hollywood based on Scream alone. That's how bad. I mean, Scream, it did reinvent the horror genre in the wrong direction. I think the wounds of Scream are still healing. All these years later, 20 years later, Scream still is doing damage to the horror genre. Fuck this movie, fuck this franchise, and fuck Kevin Williamson.
2: I don't mind it. I like uh, Scream 1 and 2. Um, I think those ones did well for what they were trying to do. Third one is a hilarious shit-tester piece that is essentially a Scooby-Doo film. The the I mean, the killer at the end of that one is like, who are you like it it, they literally just unmask a guy and go,
1: it would have been less (laughs) stupid if the Jay and Silent Bob scream three had happened.
2: And then that that fourth one was just what was he was Wes actually associated with Scraforum?
1: He directed it.
2: Oh, my God. He directed
1: Scraforum.
2: I got to admit that movie like the that's the rest of this. Like I I liked I liked that. That was his last movie. It, it it try it, it just has such a a a thick gloss of look how clever I am when when really it's just a pretentious pile of shit.
1: We have such contempt for our source material. We're going to make you smell the same bullshit that we're pushing out.
0: I like the first scream a lot. I think it's really good. I think that the whole I never saw an interview with. Kevin Williamson or Wes Craven talking about how brilliant they were with the movie. I think if anything then you haven't
1: read it, then you haven't read the right Kevin Williamson interviews. He makes it sound like he is this wunderkind that has come in and saved <laughs> the horror genre from the fate from its rightful fate. He paints himself as a goddamn unrequited genius for a scream.
0: Well, that's neither here nor there, because he made a movie that it did come along and it was huge and it was a shot in the arm that the, you know, I, I realize you're, you disagree, but I think that, uh, th- there was a thing a while ago where it was, it was, I forget what it's called, but it was something like magicians unmasked. And there was a guy who got on TV and he was doing all these magic tricks and he was showing how they were being done. He was doing this as a way to force magicians into stop into stopping using these hacky old things and i think that that's what kevin williamson was doing it was showing all of these things that have been in so many horror movies time and time again, you know, the the killer always catches up to them. Well, why does he catch up to them? And the killer always does this. And and it, it was getting old and, and they kind of did it in a way that showed, you know, it kind of pulled the curtain away and it forced a lot of horror movies to be smarter, to not just fall no, back on the no. same.
1: No, because the, the the spawn of Scream none of those were smart horror movies that came but out. But that's in the, the thing.
0: That's not the fault of it. I'm saying is that they, when they saw that the, the studios saw this, they weren't looking at all of the deconstruction. They weren't looking at the, how to make the movies smarter. They were like, okay, what we need to do is make them snarkier. And so that's when we got the movies <laughs> like Urban Legend and uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer and all the movies that kind of followed after that. So I, I still think that, uh, Kevin Williamson and, 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 Wes Craven, they, they like scream, I think is, is great. And two, I, I think is, is good. And then three, uh, three gets too convoluted for its own good. Maybe should have let that germinate a little bit more before they put together, uh, the, you know, a proper third one. I think that they, they were feeling the need to do a third one to wrap it up as a trilogy when really, I don't know if they had the whole thing fleshed out as well as they thought. But yeah. I disagree with you. I think that Scream is a movie that deserves its rightful place in horror history. Not as big as a nightmare on Elm Street, but still it it was it's a it's a good movie in its own right.
2: You're wrong, but you have a right to be wrong. Of course. <laughs> I mean, whether you like the movie or not, Cecil is right. It does deserve its uh its place in horror history like i remember when that movie came out that ghost face costume was the biggest halloween costume at the time every so, so
1: everyone dressed up as the crow in 94 too
2: still it shows that it was uh it was iconic it it uh it hit a nerve with a lot of people and there were there were kids literally like, like i was in elementary school at the time and almost everybody was ghost face so yes. that's like that that shows it. it was uh the people liked it people um thought it thought the killer had a good look it, it, it did it created a like i think that that whole ghost face killer thing he's he's right up there with the with the freddies and the jasons and the michael myers and the leather faces like he's it, it's an immediately recognizable icon of of horror and and whether you uh, whether you like scream or, or whether you don't it definitely uh, deserves to, to be where it is. And as as much as I don't like the third one or the fourth one, I, I still really like, uh, I, I thought part one was, was done really well, and, and two was, was a solid follow-up.
1: I think the Scream films and the Ghostface thing are the Mr. Yuck stickers of the horror franchise. They're there to warn you about what poison waits within. <laughs> well, between Screams 2 and 3, he made a movie that is so un-West Craven it's shocking to see how un-West Craven this is. Music of the Heart, starring Meryl Streep, Cloris Leachman, Angela Bassett, and Aidan Quinn. It's about a schoolteacher teaching violin to inner-city Harlem kids, and it got Meryl Streep an Oscar nomination. Who <laughs> the <laughs> f*** would have thought Wes Craven would direct that?
2: The double pass, for me at least. Yep.
1: Well, n- now he made the the last three films we're going to discuss here is all you guys. I have not seen 2005's Cursed, 2005's Red Eye, or 2010's My Soul to Take. I saw the first half hour of My Soul to Take on cable and turned it off in disgust, so I can't talk about the movie as a whole, but the half hour I saw was goddamn terrible.
2: Uh, I've seen uh, Red Eye. Um, I actually thought Red Eye was quite good. I, I like the... Um... His name escapes me. the The cheekbones guy, Killian Murphy. I I think that's his name. Yeah, I, I thought he yeah. was uh, made a good, a uh, creepy killer. Um, I like the vibe of the movie. It, it had a, it had, a it had a very nice, um, tense uh, kind of pace to it. I, I like that one. That was the only one um I had seen of those uh, recent Wes Craven flicks. But I I liked Red Eye a lot. All right, I'll go down the list here. Cursed.
0: I really 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 want to see the original cut cuz I uh, the hi- I'll give a brief oh, history Oh that's
1: right this is that one that was like mm-hmm. half of the movie was reshot wasn't it to the point where like mm-hmm. lover characters were turned into brothers and sisters or something
0: they filmed the the entire film was finished they the studio hated it they went back and reshot 70% of the film and they and like you said characters that were previously, uh, dating, they were now brother and sister. There were like all, I mean, they, they changed so much. It's too much to go into here, but they completely rewrote and altered the film and kind of made this Franken film out of it. End result. It's, it's a jumbled mess. There are parts that are good, but, uh, but I mean, who knows what was from the original movie and what was not from the original movie aside from uh, you know what the cast talks about. There's there's different uh, there are characters that they added that weren't in the original version and it's just a whole big mess. So the, the entire version of the original movie is done. But for whatever reason, the studio won't re- won't release it. So I'm hoping that one day Scream Factory will get it and release it just for the simple fact that I want to see what it was. Red Eye, Red Eye's is a fun movie. It's a good thriller. The only thing is about the last 15 minutes turns into, holy crap, this is completely ridiculous. The only thing I will say is that it's short. Like, I think it's if I'm let me just look real quick. I think it's only yeah, it's it's 85 minutes, but I'm pretty sure that it's only 79 minutes long and then there's six minutes of credits. So it is a very quick movie. And uh, it's it's fun. It's it's a movie to sit down and just kind of eh, watch all this go on. I think it could have been better, but uh, it's still cool. And um, eh, it was good. My soul to take. uh, I remember when that came out and everybody was telling me that it was the worst movie of the year. And of course, whenever I hear that, I always have to go and check for myself.
1: Like I said, I've only seen the first 30 minutes and they were terrible. So I can't say worst movie of 2010. I can just say it was a really bad movie of what I saw.
0: I, I ended up liking it. I didn't think that it was that bad. I thought that uh, it had some cool ideas and the way that it played out was pretty interesting. I thought it had a lot of Craven's, like, tension. Like, he's really good at at filming, like, just... He knew when to move the camera in and to make the scenes just work. So, overall, conceptually, I thought it was cool. I thought it was a fun movie. I did not think it was the worst movie ever or the worst movie of 2010. I, I liked it. You know, I'm not going to go out and tell people, uh, you need to go watch this movie, but for what it was, I enjoyed it.
1: You know, then he made Scraforum after that, which would, as I already mentioned, is going to be his last film, unless he's got another one in the can. But since that was four years ago, I highly doubt it. So Wes Craven's legacy, is he going to be known more for Nightmare on Elm Street, for Scream or for all of those relatively forgettable movies that we all brought up as sort of, yeah, I've seen it. It was all right. I mean, is he the master director that, that he's made out to be when I know how mean this is going to sound right after he died, but he's only made a couple of really good films and a bunch of okay films.
0: I think that um, he, now that he's died, a lot of people are going to go back and watch movies of his that they've never seen. So I have a feeling that there's going to be at least one of these movies is going to come out as the, quote unquote, lost Wes Craven movie. The oh, my God. Uh, let, let me just take Swamp Thing. Oh, my God. Swamp Thing is awesome. And Swamp no, Thing. No, no, is-
1: no. It's going to be Angela, the fireworks woman.
0: All right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's all of a sudden going to be like the fireworks woman is, is the lost West Craven classic. Everybody go rent it. And, uh, you know, we will got a Blu-ray release and everything, but now seriously, I think that, uh, there's going to be at least one of these that is going to be revisited or there'll be all these lists of, you know, the West Craven movies besides Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream that you should have seen. So I think that, I think that he rightfully deserves his, his place because even the movies that he's made that weren't that good, his directing was always on point. So the movie may not have ended up being good, but there's very, you know, as, as you guys know, there's so many elements that can go into, you know, making a movie good or bad. So I think that it's his, his job was always there. His job was always on point. His stuff always looked good. I think that uh, he'll get recognized For Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream, they'll probably push the hell out of Scream the most, especially now because there's the Scream TV show on, uh, and then they'll also go into Nightmare on Elm Street. Although I really think that as much as I do like Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street was a revolution in horror films.
1: Okay, I, I don't disagree with you. I think Nightmare on Elm Street did what Scream thought it did.
0: I think Scream was bigger simply because of the time when it came out. Like, you know, uh, it it was more talked about. People were more kind of, quote unquote, plugged in, I guess you could say at the time. And when A Nightmare on Elm Street came out, I remember a lot of people talking about it. And, and uh, you know, oh, my God, Freddy this and Freddy that. But not to the degree of when Scream came out. Scream was a phenomenon. Like Peter said, uh, pe- people wearing the
1: ghost face mask.
2: And
0: yeah, just-
1: AIDS was also a phenomenon
0: yeah
2: <laughs> with Wes Craven's work I I don't agree that he made a lot of okay movies and a few classics I really I've enjoyed um most of of what he's made I, I think uh not only like Nightmare on Elm Street and, and Scream are easily gonna be uh what he is most recognized for but I mean I really like flicks like uh like Shocker and and uh Last House on the Left and and stuff like that. And there's only a few uh, stinkers to me when it comes to his work. Like the, the, the only one that I really didn't like was um, the, the Hills have eyes. That was uh, to me, the one that, that stands out as like his, well, that, and maybe Scream But I, I think with, with that one, it's kind of just either uh, cause I, I'm, I'm sure there are people who enjoyed uh, scream Four, but uh, to me, it just didn't work. Uh, but I think for the most part, uh, when you're doing a franchise piece, It's it's uh, it's hard to keep consistently making uh, good sequels. And that was definitely a risk uh, to go with a fourth film after the third in itself was uh, was such a just a shithouse film for the most part. Yeah, I I think Wes has has made a a lot of um, a lot of consistently good movies in his career. Uh, He's he's certainly done better than, say, uh, directors like Dario Argento, who were their most solid in the 70s and 80s, and now their you know their 90s and 2000s stuff is uh, considered uh, laughable by their by their fan base. So I, I think Wes went out as the as the filmmaker that he was. He made a lot of movies that that are that are reminiscent of his usual quality. Uh, movies like like Red Eye and, and and stuff like that are still very Wes Craven, e- even if I. Even if I didn't like Scriforum, I'll always, uh, I'll always respect him as a, as a filmmaker, and always, always consider him to be one of the, one of the most consistent when, I, when it comes to quality.
1: I, I look at Wes Craven as, over the course of his career, he was his, he was his own enemy because by the time he got to the 90s, he had become everything that the 70s and 80s Wes Craven seemed to have been fighting against, and you really have two camps when it comes to Wes Craven. The 70s and 80s people, and the 90s and up people, and those two camps rarely meet. You two are kind of exceptions. Me, not with the 90s stuff. I, I think he kind of became his own worst enemy. Take that as you will. Like I said, he just—it was just announced that he died the day we're recording this, and this was not tonight's scheduled topic. I hope we paid the man some honor. Even though we had some negative things to say, I think we had a lot of positive things to say. Whether you Mm -hmm. guys have anything to say to us, Peter, where would they find you if they would like to say something to you?
2: If uh, you would like to say something to me, you can uh, find me, usually drunk, on Twitter at Zinematica, Uh, The Cinematicist on Facebook, The Cinematicist on YouTube, and I am also on 1201beyond.com, so if you want to pick a fight with me, you can uh, pick a fight with Josh as well.
1: Cecil nobody could want to pick a fight with you they would just tell you how wrong you are
2: where would they do no. so
0: uh they can uh, they can shower me with love over at uh, escapistmagazine.com uh, goodbadflix.com geekjuicemedia.com youtube facebook what all that and you know tell me that uh, tell me I'm pretty
1: and you can find me at 1201beyond.com and you can contact the show at 1201beyond@gmail.com at whether you think we were right or wrong leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. I hope we paid the man the respect I believe he is due, but that doesn't mean we're going to pretend he didn't make some bad movies along the way, too. So you guys, try and have a good night, and go watch those Twilight Zones that he directed. They are damn, damn good.